Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. Before we begin this episode, I want to take a minute to tell you guys about a life-changing book called Pelvic Liberation. This book is written by Leslie Howard, a renowned yoga teacher who specializes in the use of yoga for pelvic floor disorders. After she suffered from her own hypertonic pelvic pain syndrome, she found tremendous relief through her yoga practice, which she talks about in great detail in the book. Throughout the past 12 years, Leslie has taught women of all ages how to practice yoga to help alleviate pelvic floor conditions. So I own this book, I read it so many times, and I truly believe that it is something that everyone listening, anyone who has any sort of pelvic pain could really benefit from. The book approaches yoga, breathing techniques, and self-inquiry through the lens of the female pelvis. Leslie does truly an amazing job of bringing a thoughtful, thorough, lighthearted, and therapeutic focus to a subject that can usually be difficult and scary. This book was written as a call to normalize the conversation around pelvic pain and to improve women's knowledge and awareness of their pelvis. The book includes detailed explanations of key yoga postures and breathing practices that are designed to heal and awaken the female pelvis. So Leslie and I have worked together to be able to provide all of the Women's Pelvic Pain podcast listeners a 10% discount on the book when you order it directly through her website. Her website is www.lesliehowardyoga.com. That's spelled Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, Howard, H-O-W-A-R-D, Yoga, Y-O-G-A. And I will also include the direct link into the show notes if you want to access it that way. Um, And so if you add the book to your cart on her website, when you check out, there will be a box for a discount code. Into that box, enter the code pelvicflooryoga10, one word, no spaces. That's pelvicflooryoga10. And you will receive a 10% discount that will be directly applied to your order. Today, I'm here with Isabel Kahn. She is a writer, an editor, a journalist with a particular penchant for sex and relationship writing, which explains how she got into this sex-positive education, coaching, videos, and podcasting world. Um, So you briefly told me before, but tell everyone again, how did you get into this career as a sex-positive educator and writer? Hi, world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I got into all of this stuff because um, for some reason from birth, I was programmed to be really interested in sexuality. Right. Um, And I had a bizarre and very rare and very lucky upbringing where I had like sex positive education in elementary school. Uh Uh, My parents were really open about it. So it, it was never like in my head that this shouldn't be talked about it was always like this is a topic like the weather or cooking or sports or something so rare too it's so rare and i'm so lucky but i felt like um 
not everybody has that. So I felt like if I have that background, I should give back and try right. to get the stuff out of there and be a voice for people who don't have like the same kind of um, positive sexual upbringing that I did. Um, so from there, I was just like super experimental growing yeah. up. <laughs> um, I started having sex really young, uh-huh. like totally consensually. It was great. Right. Um, started experimenting and it was just like a thing that made me so happy uh-huh. and I found it to be such a, a self-expression like some people got into art and some people right. started playing music and for me like sex was like my creative outlet and it felt good to me even though I was doing it at like you know 13 14 15 right. I was like this is like this is my shit right. <laughs> like I'm so into this and I was yeah. fascinated by it yeah um, so flash forward to college, I was working at this like little clothing store and um, they had sometimes advertisements in our like local like paper magazine thing, it was called The Rooster. Um, and some guys from the magazine came in and they were like, hey, we wanna talk to you about advertising. Mm-hmm. And they're like, is your manager here? And I was like, definitely not the manager. But I was like, yeah, I'm the manager. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what do you wanna know? And we just started like talking and hanging uh-huh. out, and um, I kind of became friends with these people from the magazine. And then out of nowhere, one day, I don't know what inspired me to do this. I was like, hey, "Can I write for your magazine?" And I was not a writer. Right. I was like, I thought I was going to be a doctor. Like I love diseases, and like <laughs> I would go watch the like open heart surgery for fun, just for like the sport of it, because I thought it was so interesting. That's I was crazy. Just into bodies and stuff. Right. Um, I, so I don't know why this happened. And so I was like, I want to write like a sex column for you. And they were like, uh, okay, sure. So I started <laughs> doing that and I was very young uh-huh. and like as a journalist now looking back, I'm like, God, why did these people <laughs> like publish any of this stuff? It's like, it's definitely from a younger and like less informed point of view. Right. But that's how I got started. I started writing That's about so sex. interesting though. Mm-hmm. So I did a column for a long time. It was called Dear AB. Uh-huh. Um, and then from there, I started getting into journalism. So articles, investigations, essays, op-eds, um, interviews, all of that stuff. So um, at what point I realized, oh, I'm a sex journalist. I guess that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, How old are you? Um, I just turned 29. You don't, you look younger. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> do I look 14? No, but you look like, like, you look like mid twenties. Mid twenties, hell yeah! <laughs> I'm gonna tell that to myself in the mirror. Um, okay, so I found out about you through an article that my mom's friend sent to my mom that you wrote for In Style. The article was called "When Doctors Don't Listen, Women Treat Their Own Sexual Pain." Here's how. And so my mom's friend knew that I did this podcast, and she thought that this would be like an interesting article for me to read. Um, so my mom sent it to me, and then I just thought that it of course was really interesting, and I looked into who wrote it, and that was you, and then I saw That's everything great. else that you wrote, and then I was like, you need to be on the podcast. <laughs> um, but it was a really interesting article, and can you kind of talk about like what prompted you to write that article, and then we can get more into what the article said, because I think that there was a lot of information that was really help- that would be really helpful for everyone to hear. Yeah. Um, so as previously mentioned, um, sex was really fun for me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and every now and then I would get like a yeast infection or something, but right. it was easy to treat. I would do like one diflucan. Same with um, me. One and done. Right. Bye. Right. And then I'd say earlier this year, maybe in like January or February, mm -hmm. um, I started to get the symptoms of a yeast infection. And for me, I never had a discharge or anything other than pain. That right. was my only indication. And so I said, oh God, I've got another yeast infection. Right. So I took Diflucan, nothing worked. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't bad enough for me to really pay attention to it. It's like sometimes I'd have sex and it'd be like, oh, this doesn't really feel that good. Yeah. But I kind of figured it would just go away. Right. Um, and it didn't. It got. It kept getting worse and you worse. You had pain, or yeah. bur like burning. Yeah. So what what it started out as is pain with intercourse, uh -huh. um, and it felt like a combination of burning and like something was jumbled inside of me. Like right. things were out of place. Um, more intense than like a typical yeast infection yeah. sensation. Yeah. And it was becoming to the point where every time I would have sex, I was like, this sucks for me. Right. And I would be like, kind of horny, but it would be dampened. Like, I yeah. felt like I wasn't myself. Like, my, my baseline horniness is like 11 out of 10. I'm right. like a horny person. <laughs> like, I want to fuck. I want to yeah. do stuff. And I'm always like the higher libido person. But suddenly, uh -huh. at the same time that I started to have pain, my libido just like plummeted uh -huh. and it was really weird for so me so weird and I didn't feel like myself like because that was my thing like I said it was like my expression right not that I don't have like other outlets of right being a person but like that's a particularly enjoyable yeah. one and I felt like half a person I was mm -hmm. like I'm not me I don't know what's wrong with me I don't want to have sex. Yeah. I don't know who, like, who I'm becoming, and it's starting to hurt, and I stopped masturbating, which is crazy for me. Right. Um, I just changed, and I felt like I got knocked down to the level that, like, most people function at normally. Right. And so for, it affected my relationship in an interesting way because I'm the higher sex drive person, uh -huh. and suddenly, like, I had, like, a similar level of, like, sex drive to my partner, and I was like, is this what it's like to just like to have sex sometimes, but it's like not always on your mind? Right. So I had to get to know myself again. And um, it was a little scary. Mm -hmm. So obviously I went to the doctor. Right. And they found that I had um, some sort of rare bacterial vaginosis, which mm -hmm. is funny because I had no scent, no discharge, they just found like a rare bacteria in there and they're like, oh, you've got yeast. And I was like, oh, that must be what it is. Ha ha ha. So they bombed <laughs> me with drugs. Right. The, the Metro gel, right. the Diflucan, yeah. all of that um, did nothing. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, like I started to get sensations when I wasn't having sex and I would just be like sitting or walking and I'd feel like a fullness. Or, you know, when, like, things are going well and you just can't feel anything at all. Yeah. And, like, that's how you know you're healthy. It's just, yes, it's, like, exactly. it's not there until you, like, are horny or exactly. it hurts. Right. So it would hurt ambiently. Yeah. And the pain would move. Like, it would, once at some points, it would be, like, inside my vagina. Uh -huh. At others, it would feel like it was kind of, like, in my fallopian tubes or uterus. Right. At other times, it was my, like, my, my vulva or my labia. And the sensation was always different, so it was really hard to pin down. So, so when I would go to doctors with this, yeah. they'd be like, I don't know what this right. is, you know? Yeah. Um, so I went to doctor after doctor, 
and nobody was listening to me. Mm-hmm. People were just like, are you using lube? Like, yeah, I'm fucking yeah. using lube. Like, I'm also a sex educator, too, yeah. and I also have, a, like, a degree in physiology. So, right. I, like, when people talk down to me in that way as if I don't know these things. You're like, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, so that's not a really pretentious. No, no, no. It's but like. I completely understand that. Like, I go into doctor's offices saying, yeah. like, talk to me like you would talk to a colleague. Yeah. And, like, I, I know about this stuff, so I want to know what's going on. Yeah. Like, don't dumb no, it down for me. No, that makes total sense. Um, and people would be like, yeah, like, just make sure that you're using lube and um, pee after sex. And I was like, I'm not having a UTI. I don't right. pee after sex. Like, I, and, like, you know these things already. Yeah, like, it was so disappointing. So I was like, doctors aren't helping. Right. Oh, let me, like, ask other women mm-hmm. and see what's going on and see if anybody has ideas. So um, I'm part of this, like, private women's group on Facebook. Right. Um, and so I posted a post, and I was like, hey, is anybody experiencing painful sex? Like, if so, like, what do you do uh-huh. to treat it? And I was completely flooded with responses. Like, 49 people got back to me in, like, an hour. People are like, me, me, me. I experienced this. This happens to me. All different symptoms, all different types of women, all different circumstances. Like, some people had experienced, like, excruciating pain after childbirth, and they did pelvic floor therapy. Some people had, like, mysterious infections. Some people had vulvodynia or, like, vestibulitis. A lot of people had endometriosis. But the big thing that everybody had in common, despite their vastly different experiences, was doctors aren't helping me mm-hmm. and that's not to say that doctors don't help like they do they're very important but it really does um take finding the right one to help you yeah um one person that i had spoken with said that she saw 25 doctors over a seven-year period I believe it, yeah and that's like not uncommon yeah um one of the doctors that i interviewed that's a sexual pain expert um, right. robert eckenberg He's, he um, collected data on this and found that um, people see an average of five doctors before they get any kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, some people way more, some people way less. But yeah. um, I was just really overwhelmed by their response That's of crazy. people. It was so yeah. crazy. But only not only their response and their like outpouring of nobody talks about this kind of thing, right. but also offering up their own solutions right um which we can get into like in the next part but yeah people get crafty and i think (laughs) you know your body Mm -hmm. and you know what you need and if you can tune into what hurts and what's causing the pain um your ability to heal yourself or at least to minimize your symptoms for the time being right is so valuable and it's going to give you so much more insight mm-hmm. listening to yourself and listening to other people who are going to through the same stuff yeah. than it will to listen to the wrong doctor who spends seven minutes with you right and then writes you a prescription right and no, i'm I never advo- what i completely agree yeah. yeah and like i would never ever advocate for people to not go to doctors yeah because they can make all of the difference but um i was just fascinated with what people were like coming up with on their own it's so yeah common yeah. and then it's so vastly underreported too 
completely like you there's just not a good way to get an accurate sampling because pain is so different from person mm-hmm. to person mm-hmm. and a lot of people assume pain is normal so right. on surveys and when people um are questioned by researchers mm-hmm. if the researchers don't ask a question in like a way that is that tells their story right they'll say like no i don't experience that mm-hmm. and so that gets marked down as like this pain doesn't yeah. get experienced you know yeah so it's it's just crazy yeah it is how social media can like bring us stuff out of the woodwork i know i think when you need to reach out and find support and you do so especially on like a, a private group where right. like people are vetted to join it right um that's its best quality yeah no i completely agree yeah so you made this post you got numerous amounts of responses from people who have experienced painful sex and then in the article, I assume you wrote about the few that were most beneficial. Okay. So should we go like through the list kind of? Yeah, of let's what do those it. were? Okay. Um, the first one. Oh, and then there's this quote that was really good from the article. Can I read this quote? Yeah, please. Okay, I just put, I just wrote this down that this was something that was interesting. Um, Okay, there's actually two quotes. So the first one was, her boyfriend was sweet and understanding, but she stayed quiet about just how badly it hurt. She didn't want the pain, whatever it was, to drive them apart. Plus, she thought, didn't all women experience painful sex from time to time? And I thought that was really interesting because it just shows how a lot of women think that their pain is normal and they kind of ignore it because they're like, oh, is sex supposed to be painful? But like, you knew that sex, you had experienced sex that wasn't painful. So like, you knew that it, wasn't normal but some women who have never experienced that think that this is like something that they're just going to live with when in reality it's not yeah and there's a lot of internalized misogyny and miseducation in our culture where many women feel like they're not supposed to enjoy sex right or they do it for the benefit of their partner or they don't know how to advocate or communicate about their own pleasure and that's not their fault necessarily Mm -hmm. it's how um, we socialize women to prioritize other people's pleasure no matter what gender or what person they're with right um, we're socialized to find our own sexual confidence and how much our our partner enjoyed Mm -hmm. it right so the fact that so many people just live with this is a symptom of what we think female sexuality is supposed to be yeah which is rarely empowered and pleasurable Mm -hmm. and in many spaces it is and many many women um know how to speak up and know how to communicate but i think we could help a lot more by focusing more on helping women feel empowered by pleasure yeah but i also completely recognize that sex doesn't always feel good for everybody for a lot of reasons yeah and it's not always because you have like a pelvic floor dysfunction yeah. endometriosis like maybe you have the wrong partner maybe you've had a lot of trauma maybe mm-hmm. it's just not working for you like that day yeah and maybe you're just a person who like is not into this yeah. kind of sex yeah too i think that those are really good points but the, i think the important takeaway is that pain is not normal mm-hmm and if something hurts, yeah. it's not supposed to. It's not to. supposed to, yeah. yeah. So it's worth looking into. I completely yeah. agree. Um, and then the other quote was, not being believed is a common occurrence for the 7 to 22% of women who experience chronic sexual pain stemming from conditions such as endometriosis, vulvodynia, pelvic floor dysfunction, and chronic 
infections, though, as you just said, that's hardly an exhaustive, exhaustive list of what causes sexual pain. So mm -hmm. even though those are some reasons, there's still so many other reasons that could cause pain during sex. So the first topic in the article uh, was in relation to diet, exercise, and food allergies. Oh my God, I yeah. was like blown away by how many people fixed their pain or at least minimized it with right. like dietary salts. Right. Um, soy was like a really common thing that people were saying when they eliminated it from their diet, their mm -hmm. pain receded or got a lot better. Um, wheat, corn, dairy, um, common food allergens. It's, there's not like one thing that's specific to like pelvic or vaginal pain. Mm -hmm. um, but people found that out mostly through their own exploration. Right. Like, very few people as doctors suggest that they eliminate a food from their diet, but they were like, something in them told them that maybe this was my the, diet. Yeah. And um, I think the reason why it can be so painful is because there's there's a lot of ways that it can work, but mm -hmm. a lot of painful conditions have to do with inflammation. Right. And when you have a food allergy, the levels of inflammation in your body skyrocket, mm -hmm. and they can affect nearby tissue. Um, also, a lot of um, pelvic and vaginal pain is actually a dietary allergy, yeah. but you feel it in a different tissue than like the inflammation is taking place too. Right. So like. Food allergies, I think the stat was that they're like responsible for like 40% of like pelvic pain. That's so interesting. Yeah, so I would definitely say if nobody is helping you, look at what you're eating. Mm -hmm. um, most people found a lot of relief by doing vegetarian or vegan diets mm -hmm. and going organic. Um, it's the same thing, like any diet where yeah. you eat a lot of vegetables and you drink well, a lot of water right. is like good for you. Right. Um, but also eating ingredients like ginger and garlic and parsley and herbs that help yeah. increase your circulation and your body's ability to uptake nutrients um, can be really helpful. A lot of these diseases are like blood's not getting to mm -hmm. the right places mm -hmm. or um, there's inadequate like um, motion of of blood and right. lymph and your muscles are you seized or something yeah um, these things can all be solved with eating better yeah and hydrating more too and then the exercise portion is a little self-explanatory for some people right. like the more blood you have pumping um, the more you can lubricate mm -hmm. the easier it is to get aroused um, and the better things tend to feel unless you're um, dealing with something like, well, maybe like, can I ask a question about yeah, you? Yeah. So with your own like pelvic pain, yeah. and was it your pelvic floor? Yeah, it was my pelvic floor muscles. The problem that I had was that my body was so used to having all of these vaginal infections for such extended periods of time that it's like the body's natural response for like your muscles to contract when you have infection. Mm -hmm. So even after all the infections were cured, my muscles were still in this contracted spastic state because they thought I still had an infection. So right. that muscle tightness caused me to have the same symptoms as the infection. Like it caused me to have the burning. It was like your muscles press on your nerves that mm -hmm. caused the itching, the burning. And then also when your muscles are tight, it presses on your bladder. So I which I still have is like bladder frequency. I don't know what, what that issue is, but 
So it created all of these problems that felt like an infection, but it's really just was stemming from my muscles and I think the surrounding nerves and yeah. And did you um, do exercises or like, did exercise help you in any way? So I've always been a super like, I'm not like an athlete, I never played sports, but I've always been really into like working out. I do a lot of yoga and Pilates and I spin and I've always been super in touch with like what I eat and I did this health training program online. So diet and health have always been a huge part of my life and exercise. But um, I kind of learned a few things. I learned that bar is not good if you have tight pelvic floor muscles Mm -hmm. because it will like make your muscles tighter. Spinning is okay if you have tight pelvic floor muscles, but like sitting on the seat can irritate some people's like nerves around Mm -hmm. their like the pelvic muscles kind of like connect to the bottom of your ass where you're sitting. Um, But yoga is really good. So I do a lot of heated yoga and I feel like night and day better afterwards. Yeah. So it's it's like the blood flow and like getting things moving. A hundred percent. And then also getting your mind off your pain and seeing that like your body can do something like maybe you didn't think that you can do completely it like tricks your brain into thinking that like your body actually is functional even if you feel horrible after exercising or you hate doing it right like you your body still did that yeah like it's still like a vessel of like making your life better and anyone i've talked to who has any sort like any chronic pain in general always says working out makes them feel better after Absolutely. Yeah. It really does. And like, I hate working out. Yeah. I like, I like loathe it. It always gives me a migraine. Yeah. I don't like being like super hot. It's yeah. something like, I hate when yoga instructors like call me out. They're like, you're not doing corpse pose, right? I know. So like, I had to be like, <laughs> God damn it. I have to exercise now. Yeah. But even just doing like the most mild stuff I like, know. in my house, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I felt like my libido came back yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And it, the only thing I changed was, like, I kind of exercised sometimes. Right. So, like... That's so interesting. Yeah. It's, and did you change, your like, anything that you ate? Were you changing your diet? Or? Oh, I went through a whole thing. So, yeah. I thought because I thought I had um, yeast, like, bad right. yeast. Right. You did, like, the anti-candida. Or yeah. No. So, yeah, I did yeah, yeah. no sugar for, like, right. three months. Um, I did, like, very little caffeine. And it didn't really do anything yeah and you want to know something so weird right this goes against everything that i i put in my article and i I can't explain it yeah but once i started drinking and eating what i wanted again like i started to feel better (laughs) it brings home this point that like every person's body is so different and sometimes what doesn't help about doctors is that they're trained to find common causes right but what's happening inside of you is like the most idiosyncratic Mm -hmm. thing and if it helps you yeah. to cut out sugar and to go vegetarian and cut out soy, like it helped a lot of women in the article, right. then like, hell yeah. Like if you find something that works right. for you, like do that and at least try and experiment. Like if you think it might be dietary, cut things out of your diet, yeah. do elimination diets, experiment with like how you feel. But it might not be the problem. Like, maybe for you and me, that's not it. Right. And we are still... I don't know if you've had, like, a diagnosis. Like, I certainly haven't. But it doesn't seem like diet is my issue. Right. Although it is many people's, too. Yeah. No, that's totally, totally true. Yeah. And I think that it's good to, like, try certain things to realize, like, what is your issue and what's not. But I think it gets... Sometimes it gets to the point where you... Your body tells you, like, this is not what's going on. 
No. You want to know, this is, sorry to like throw off topic, but it's, so I was not drinking alcohol. I was never like a huge drinker, but um, like, I was like, no alcohol at all. Right. Um, Because of the sugar in the alcohol. Me too. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks ago, like, I just got fucking wasted. Yeah. And I had awesome sex. It felt so good. Yeah. And it was like, oh my God, I can still do this that's and so interesting i don't know if it, i don't know if it was like alcohol like made me relax enough um or i was distracted i, I don't know the mechanism yeah. why this worked, but since then um i've still had some like painful times but i've also had like good times like my right. body like remembered that it could have pleasure suddenly. right and so like that's important too is when you have a good experience I hope everyone listening Mm -hmm. will see that as a light bulb, even if it's not the experience that you want or are used to having. If you can have a moment of pleasure, that's your body kicking back in. You're capable of getting back into the swing of things, but sometimes you have to feel the thing before the change as opposed to making changes and then feeling the thing. Right. Does that make sense? Completely. And that's so interesting because actually this morning I did a podcast episode with this sex therapist and she was saying that like what she tells her patients and she works with a lot of people who have like sexual women's sexual health issues Mm -hmm. and she said she tells all of her not all of her patients but most people who have these issues she says like your body only remembers really good and really bad Mm -hmm. so like you don't remember in between so to exactly your point she was like even if you're in some sort of like pain or discomfort or you're struggling with something in your sex life like you have to kind of tell yourself that like you can still have these good times like you're not completely broken you just maybe don't feel like you did when when you didn't when everything was perfect but like there's still pleasure available like in your life so much and that brings us to one of the other things that people were doing yeah was um i'll loosely just call it pleasure retraining right um but instead of having the type of sex that was painful which was usually penetrative sex right um but sometimes even oral or masturbation was really painful for people too. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people expanded their definition of what sex, sex can be. was. Yeah. Um, so people started doing things they haven't done before. Like people tried anal, found out they liked it. A lot of people tried BDSM. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason why I really want to harp on this is because um, BDSM, you don't have to be like kinky necessarily to mm-hmm. do something. BDSM, yeah. but what it does when you're either alone or um, you have like a consensual partner to practice this with is it really helps you focus your mind and um, awaken parts of your body that aren't necessarily sexual. Mm-hmm. So a really good example is spanking or impact play with like a paddle or a flogger or a crop or something. Those are called the impact tools. Right. Um, and all that is, is it's awakening your skin. Usually it's around your butt or your thighs or like another kind of fleshier area of your body. Right. Um, and it's just bringing blood flow and endorphins into the area. And it's also kind of making you feel like intimate and like sensual with another person in a way that is not the way that causes you pain. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these people were realizing like, oh, I could have like a spanking session with somebody and have like a bit of like a consensual power ex- exchange and it's still like really fucking hot. Right. And I still feel really satisfied after, but we're not having penetrative sex. Right. But they still felt sexy. 
and desired and like even kind of like really turned on because they mm -hmm. were trying something new. Yeah. So even if that's not your particular thing, um, learning to reframe what could be pleasure um, can be really helpful and toys help so much too. A lot of people use like a vibrator on their clit to kind of get them in the mood. Right. Um, butt plugs are another like yeah. common thing that people really enjoy the sensation of. Yeah. Um, toys can be really, really helpful too. So I don't know. I think um, just redefining what pleasure can be and mm -hmm. understanding that maybe today it's a sensual thing. Right. Maybe you're taking sensual pleasure from your environment. Like you're next to a flower and you're like, God, that thing is beautiful. Right. And you just, you live in this moment where you're experiencing pleasure in the world, but it's not necessarily the type that hurts you. Right. Knowing that at some point you'll be okay and things will recalibrate in most cases. Yeah. And you can have the type of stimulation that is painful. That's so helpful. Yeah. Like, yes. I'm a mentor under this um, woman named Jamila Dawson, and her, uh -huh. she's also a sex therapist. And she has, like, this practice called everyday erotic, which is finding, like, it's self-explanatory. Right. It's, like, finding the erotic in every day and, like, taking moments to experience the pleasure of, like, food or something that makes you feel cozy or something that you're just so attracted to. Like, if you have a fantasy or you're watching porn and you're really into it or there's a person that really turns you on, like tuning into that arousal even if it's not sexual can be really right. helpful yeah. and another thing that I just thought of as you were talking about that was kind of like a way that you can put like when you have painful sex or pelvic pain into a positive light is that it kind of forces you to figure out other ways to create pleasure yeah. whereas you know if you never experience any of these issues and I don't want to make a generalization but like everything's perfect mm -hmm. you're not gonna have to try new things you're not gonna have to do like go outside of your comfort zone but when things aren't perfect it forces you to go outside of your comfort zone and to explore other ways that you can have pleasure and like you learn so much more about yourself you learn so much more about your own desires and your partners and like really life in general that is such a good point <laughs> and it's such a beautiful thing and like you're completely right in that some people found such a silver lining yeah. to their sexual pain. And one of the doctors that I interviewed, um, her name is Carolyn Pukal. Uh -huh. Or P Pukal? I don't know. Forgive <laughs> me. Sorry, <laughs> Carolyn. Um, she said that many of her clients, she's uh -huh. also a pelvic pain expert in, um, in Canada, Queen's University, they were saying that they're having better sex sometimes they because they've, they've expanded what sex means to them. Right. Or they're happy this happened because they've discovered parts of themselves that they would have never had a chance right. to look at otherwise. So like not everybody has that experience and like I would never want to minimize the absolute torture that this can be mm -hmm. and how much it can change your life and your personality and your confidence and the yeah. way that you communicate. But at yeah. the same time, there's like, there are good parts mm -hmm. of everything. And if learning something new about what your body is capable of is the good part, then like, it's an awesome part. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. The next thing I want to talk about in the article is, it's in quotes, weed lube. But so it's this product called Foria. Yeah. And a bunch of other companies that make similar products. But I think that Foria is the most well-known one. Mm -hmm. um, okay, tell us about that product. So, uh... <laughs> Reed Lube either has THC mm -hmm. or CBD or both 
in it. Um, CBD is the non-psychoactive part of marijuana. Right. THC is the psychoactive part. Right. Um, but even if it has THC in it, you're not going to feel high. It doesn't make you feel loopy. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have any sort of mental effect. Psychoactive anything. Uh, right. Yeah. But what both compounds have been shown to be really useful for um, is reducing inflammation, um, increasing blood flow, um, and increasing like how good something can feel on a specific tissue. Mm-hmm. So if you're having pain, then all of a sudden you have greater blood flow and relaxed inflammation. Um, oh, and muscular relaxation too is, right. is a huge part of what CBD can do. Right. Um, if you're relaxing your tissues and your blood vessels and you're calming your nerves with a compound, then typically things feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's lube too doesn't hurt. It changes people's lives. The girl that I talked to, my yeah. really good friend who has been to 25 doctors, yeah. so she had endometriosis. And right. She had to get go to 25 doctors to figure this out, of course. Um, and the only thing that helps her is Foria or some other kind of weed lube if Foria is not available. It's crazy. She lives in Oregon, so she can get it. Right. Um, but it relaxes her yeah um and it makes her vagina just kind of feel softer and more pliable and Uh it makes her kind of wet that's so interesting yeah so like people react differently to thd obviously right um but if you're a person if you're a weed person i would highly recommend it yeah like really really has worked for so many people that i've talked to even though, like, for me, I'm always like, nah. but weed for me doesn't work in general. Yeah. Like, I just don't get, like, weed. Yeah. That's but, so interesting, though. Yeah. And I'm going to put the link to the website in the notes for the show so that people can go onto the website and look, like, see what, what products they have and stuff. And I also they make depositories, which is cool. Like yeah. THC and CBD suppositories, I think. Yeah, which is awesome for really like period cool. cramps. Yeah. Or like you could easily just put in a suppository to just help yourself relax and like yeah. increase your blood flow and like yeah. yeah. Really interesting, cool company. Mindfulness. That was the fourth thing. So mindfulness is a really interesting area mm-hmm. of study that has been shown to have a lot of positive effects. Like um, it can reduce depression and anxiety and right. PTSD. Um, it can even increase libido in cancer patients and people who have survived sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of research about this. I'm trying to remember the name of the, the researcher who does all of this. I'm blanking, but I'll, I'll think of it in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, mindfulness involves focusing on a feeling of pleasure and just kind of like living in that moment so what we were talking about earlier with like the everyday erotic practice Mm -hmm. um it's kind of just letting the rest of the world fade away and focusing on yourself and there's a lot of different ways you can practice it but in its ability to refocus your attention and to um kind of pinpoint it on a specific thing it can help you relax a lot. Yeah. And there's something about the process, like the kind of meditative process of that, um, that can help your mind catch up with your body. Because a lot mm-hmm. of people's pain comes, um, not that all pain is mental, but some people have had a lot of sexual trauma. Right. And um, 
that's hard to not think about when you are touching yourself or someone else is touching you. Right. Or you get into a circumstance where like you have pain, 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 and then you start to anticipate it mentally. Mm-hmm. And you have what happened to me, and I'm sure you, is you feel inadequate or not like yourself, or there's some sort of thing happening in your mind that's not that's not doing you any favors yeah. to think about. And it's like distracting you from the good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this particular practice, which has so much really interesting research mm-hmm. about it, and I would totally recommend like looking at like Google Scholar, like what mindfulness can do for mm-hmm. you. Um, it helps you catch up mentally, which can help you catch up physically mm-hmm. too. That's so interesting. Yeah. And this girl too, the girl who, she's, she's like the narrative that I used throughout the whole story because yeah. she's tried everything. So other than Foria and like weed lube, uh-huh. um, giving her self like a moment of appreciation and love really helps her. That's so, so interesting. Yeah, so if, like, if she does something like good at her job or like she catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror, she's like, oh, like I don't look half bad today. <laughs> yeah. Or like she makes a friend feel loved or something like that. Just these small things that we do day to day, she will focus on them and that feeling of worthiness um, and it doesn't take more than like, you know, two or three minutes to just sit with that feeling. And it's not something pretentious, like look what I did, or it's right. not an egotistical thing. It's like, like feel that feeling of like gratitude in your chest right. or like, or um, that happy, that happy cry feeling mm-hmm. you get, like when you see something like triumphant, Right. like s- applying those kinds of like gracious and um, grateful feelings to yourself and like the little accomplishments that you do can help you feel worthy mm-hmm. in a time where you feel unworthy yeah. and like just not yourself. So yeah, that that helps her a lot too. I think mindfulness is, I think it's important for everyone, but I think especially people who have any sort of pain mm-hmm. or chronic pain, it's so important because you feel like your world just crashing down on you and you can't see the light in anything. Mm-hmm. So like practicing mindfulness I think would like really real would really help a lot of people kind of be more present, be able to be more present when they have all of these other circumstances like holding them back. Right. Yeah. Or like if you get if you're having pain but mm-hmm. you have like one moment that either feels good or there's no pain, mm-hmm. like that's a really nice moment to like yeah. love yourself about it. and like I'm not like one of those like self love people right. like I believe right. in it but I'm not like hanging it on a plaque above yeah. my like toilet at home <laughs> like <laughs> like but at the same time I know what that feeling is like when yeah. you have a moment and you're like oh my god my body didn't feel pain for a second even if it's ten seconds then it goes back to being like I am a mad vulva and I yeah. fucking hate you but like. Just seeing the tiniest amounts of good and feeling yeah. present in those moments can really make a difference. It's not going to solve everything, and it's unrealistic to think that it's just going to like end your pain and you'll mm-hmm. walk pain free for the rest of your life. But like little things help. Completely. Yeah. So there's this other article that you wrote that I want to talk briefly about, but like I just thought that it was something that I had to bring up for a minute. It was called For the Best Sex of Your Life, Ask Old People. And, well, first I had never read an article that talked about anything remotely close to that. Mm -hmm. But 
it was really interesting. Will you just talk about it for a minute? Like, absolutely. Other than painful sex, yeah. this is like one of my favorite topics to talk about. And I'm so glad that you came across the article and like, yeah. thank you for reading it yeah. and like talking Thanks for about writing it. it. Yeah. So, seniors have sex and we don't give them credit for it. So interesting. At all. And we place all of these judgments about what our bodies are supposed to look like and do as we age. Um, in the media and on the news and kind of just in the public zeitgeist, we have an idea mm-hmm. that like once something sags on your body or you have a gray hair, then you're somehow undesirable, which is patently false. Right. As people age, some people lose their libido and it's not as strong as it used to be. Other people's libido stays the same or mm-hmm. gets higher. But regardless, somebody is worth and attractiveness and ability to enjoy sex has nothing to do with what they phenotypically look like Mm -hmm. and how they're outwardly aging internally people's bodies are capable of so much more than we're giving them credit for and seniors are making use of this right not everybody like a lot of people get into like um places where their hormones are so low or they're on so many medications or they're injured or disabled that like it's really not the same and that's valid mm-hmm. um but the percentage of people who are having the same amount of sex or just only slightly less than they used to be in like their 30s and 40s is way higher than you would think so interesting yes it's super interesting and the sex can be like pleasurable too like they're enjoying themselves right and they're also doing that thing that we talked about earlier where they're finding new ways to um have sex so for example like lots of people can't get erections Mm -hmm. um without medication um lots of people feel like they are not lubricated enough to have like penetrative sex Mm -hmm. but people are expanding their definition of sex to mean things like kissing um emotional intimacy like light stroking touch like it doesn't have to be penetrative sex Mm -hmm. which definitely still happens with senior people but you can have so much pleasure and have so much intimacy and this like sexuality and attraction in your life Mm -hmm. when you get to define the playing field that you have sex on and who are any of us to say what sex is right right like sure there's like a wikipedia definition there's a biological definition but we're all completely capable of defining these things for ourselves and deriving like a requisite amount of pleasure Mm -hmm. from them yeah so like one of the examples um in this article that somebody was doing that they really liked was they started like holding hands with their partner which is something that they hadn't done for years and they really just like relished the intimacy of that and they felt attracted to each other and they just Mm -hmm. like their hands felt good on each other and that's so interesting that was sex right so while you might not see people like 69ing at age 80 <laughs> like like that stuff is there and it's yeah. on their minds yeah. and they're dating now too like on the I internet know. like they're in chat rooms they're all over the place my grandma she passed away a year ago but she was like in her early 80s and she had this boyfriend this like new boyfriend my grandpa passed away like way before she did she had this boyfriend they were like so intimate like mm-hmm. so like they were having sex like my whole family she would talk about the sex that she was yeah. having with her boyfriend and like even my like her daughters my mom and my aunts were like mom we don't want to hear about it but like <laughs> she was having really good sex 
And, like, she talked about it. She was 82 years old. That's amazing. Yeah. So, like, the person that I, I feature in that article, her name is Joan Price. And right. she's, I think she's 75 now. Right. And she's a senior sex expert and an author. And she has this really great quote, which is, um, expiration dates are from, for milk, not for pleasure. Oh, I saw That was so funny. I saw that in the article. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... A big part of it for her, she's very active mm-hmm. and she does dance and she like she's very, very like moving her body all the time. Right. That doesn't hurt when you're aging to right. increase your blood flow and to maintain your musculature. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the whole point of this is that there's zero reason to see senior sexuality as invisible because yeah. it's there and it's beautiful yeah and it's so heartening to talk to people like Joan and your grandma because it shows you that like this stuff doesn't have to be over right and like maybe it'll be different than it was when you were 20 obviously mm-hmm. like your sexuality changes throughout your entire right. life right but difference not worse it's just another thing that yeah. you do like your body changes your minds changes your desires change yeah but it's like it's present and it was so beautiful it made me like genuinely not afraid to get old yeah and i would never want to like sit here and say like all your grandparents are fucking right now (laughs) like it's not it's not like some like pornographic like orgiastic cornucopia (laughs) of like senior sex but um we do have to give them credit and it would be it would be important for us to see seniors as the valid and worthy people that they yeah. are and give them credit for still um, having pleasure in their lives. Completely. Thank you for writing that. Thanks for reading yeah. it. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to share with anyone listening or like any interesting resources that you have or that you would recommend? Um, really anything in general that you think would be helpful? So I wanted to talk about Tumblr a little mm-hmm. bit and the censorship of um, different digital spaces. Yeah. Um, so this is really important to me as a journalist and also as a sex educator and somebody who works with people all of the time who really benefit from seeing themselves reflected in other people on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, as I don't know if your listeners know or not, but Tumblr... Um, recently banned erotica and nudity of female nipples not male nipples female appearing nipples i think is the term um and previously to this ban tumblr was kind of like a place where people would upload their own homemade porn and it was a great queer space it was a great space for people of color um, of different body sizes um if you're a person who had stretch marks or you're a senior and you didn't see yourself like in porn on like mainstream tube sites you could go and curate your own blog of stuff that you were into or even of yourself Mm -hmm. and it was like I think I read I said an article I'm not sure where this this was but um it kind of let people be the architects of their their sexuality as opposed to the objects Mm -hmm. of it um and it gave people so much agency in exploring and those spaces are so important and they're systematically being taken down like craigslist took away their personal section um so many like sex workers sites um that advertise sex workers are being banned now Mm -hmm. which is incredibly backwards and dangerous it's a completely another topic Right, right um but this general trend towards censorship is 
incredibly dangerous and concerning but i also just want to say like you can't censor sex yeah like you can't censor someone's stretch marks or the color of their skin or their sexuality or their trans identity like Mm -hmm. you can't silence any of this and like maybe tumblr will take it down maybe facebook will ban your sex positive group i'm in a sex positive group on facebook Right. right now and they're being investigated by facebook and it's just a bunch of like women and trans women and like gender queer people like asking each other questions about sex and looking for support like nothing nefarious is happening right. and it's like a beautiful safe space so like i don't want anybody to feel discouraged by the disappearance of these spaces because more of them will crop up and it mm-hmm. just makes it all that more important to keep having these conversations and to create your own sites and events and podcasts like mm-hmm. you're doing where you can talk about these things because they deserve to be discussed no matter how you express your sexuality or what you're going through. Seeing yourself reflected and being a resource, a resource for other people who are questioning yeah. something that you might know more about is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So don't stop clicking and don't, don't stop talking yeah. and like, don't be silenced by a temporary movement of people who are too prude or puritanical to admit something that is completely healthy and natural. Yeah. Well said. That's my soapbox. <laughs> no, I think that was perfectly said. I mean, the beauty of technology yeah. is that you can't, like they, it's a whack-a-mole thing. You yeah, can't, you can't exactly. silence it. Somebody will develop a platform right. where you can put this stuff up again. Right. And it's so easy to feel discouraged right now. Like, so many trans people's rights, so many sex workers' rights, so many women's rights, mm-hmm. and our privacy and, like, our empowerment is just being shit on. Yeah. And so... Scary. Many ways. It's really scary, but, like we have tools that they didn't have in other historical periods of censorship, which Uh is the internet and apps and people are web designers and people, I don't, I'm a, I'm terrible at technology, but other people are, are really great at continuing on the spaces. So like it, it doesn't get silenced. It doesn't go away. It just transforms. Yeah. And on that note, too, since I have an extra, like, three minutes of soapbox time, um, I would really like to um, say that it's really important for people to support sex workers right now. Um, Consensual sex work between adults is not sex trafficking. Uh Trafficking is non-consensual activity. um, But consensual adult sex work is a really beautiful and valuable service. that can help so many people raise families, Mm -hmm. support themselves, go back to school, um, spend more time with their children, and also get what they need sexually, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, we have this weird assumption about um, sex as if it's something that it should only happen in this sacred space of a a couple that's committed to each other, or ideally married in terms of our, like, culture's narrative. But, like... Think about all of the services we need to to farm out that yeah. involve physical touching. Like you go to a doctor for your pelvic floor. Somebody goes to a chiropractor because their spine is messed up. Right. Like I have my back really hurts, so I need a massage. Right. Like we allow people to 
handle our bodies in ways that are healthy, but for some reason, well, for many yeah. historical reasons, yeah. it's like with sex, that thing is just not allowed. But sex work is not so different from any other body work in that it helps people relax, uh-huh. um, it helps them feel pleasure. Um, a lot of people who are disabled um, or depressed or for other reasons can't enjoy sexuality in like the quote-unquote regular way most people do. Sex workers give those people an opportunity to be sexual. Mm-hmm. A lot of seniors visit with sex workers because it gives them a chance to like stay in touch with that part of themselves. Right. Like, I just like I'm in awe of how valuable it is, and. Um, if you are able to, I would donate to um, sex workers advocacy groups like SWOP, that's S-W-O-P. Um, this is a long acronym, but it's mm-hmm. SPLURP. It's the Erotic Services Legal Education and Research Project. Uh-huh. Um, and what they do is work on legislation that makes um, consensual adult sex work part of um, a human right. And they are really in need of of donations and support mm-hmm. right now. So I don't know. I would I just wanna say that it's a yeah it's a really valuable thing that we have in our society and to silence it and to make it so these people can't work mm-hmm. um, not only hurts sex workers themselves and makes it so, so they have to be on the streets and working um, in conditions that are far more dangerous to them, but it hurts the rest of us too because so many people can benefit from their services yeah. too. So sex work is good work. Thank you for yeah. educating us on this. Seriously, this is like so important and honestly something I don't know very much about. So now I know something. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you are like such a wealth of knowledge and I'm really glad that we were able to make this work finally. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they do so? So um, I've got a website you can read some of my articles at. It's isabelkahn.com, I-S-A-B-E-L-L-E-K-O-H-N, as in Nancy. And I'll link it in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. All right, cool. And then on Instagram, I'm at um, at Dear Ibby. It's I-B-B-Y. Um, but I have a tiny social media pre- pre- presence. <laughs> presence. <laughs> I have a tiny social media preference. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I have a tiny social media presence because I'm, for some reason, bad at social media. I don't know why. I don't have a Twitter or yeah. anything. But um, reach out to me on my Instagram if you have any questions or you would like to collaborate or you want to do consulting or anything like that. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I want to tell you guys about a product that I recently discovered that has helped me tremendously and that I think will really help you guys as well. It is a urinary tract support tea and I just want to make it very clear that any product I promote on this podcast is a product that I have used myself that has worked for me that I have vetted thoroughly and you know I look into the ingredients and where the ingredients are sourced and the story behind the product who makes the product there is so much that goes into promoting a product and creating a product and I'm only going to share something with all of you guys listening that I really fully believe in and that I be- and that has worked for me and I believe would work and help so many of you. 
So after using this product myself and feeling so much relief from it, I genuinely thought that it would be a disservice if I didn't share it with all of you listening because I know that it will help so many of you. So what this product is, is it's a urinary tract support tea. The company is called Nunamed and the founder of the company, her name is Allie, and my pelvic floor physical therapist recently introduced me to Allie because Allie was one of her patients. So the story behind the tea is that Allie was in a pretty horrible accident a few years ago that resulted in a spinal cord injury and the development of pelvic pain and pelvic floor issues. So one of her remaining issues is that she has to catheter. And because of having to catheter all the time, she was getting recurrent UTIs. Because of these recurrent UTIs, she was being treated consistently with antibiotics and because of all of the antibiotic use, she eventually developed a resistance to these antibiotics. So it is a completely herbal, natural tea and it helps to prevent and treat UTIs. So when my physical therapist, Erica, introduced me to her, I immediately ordered a bunch of the tea and I tried it and I can tell you that I've tried so many natural products more than I could ever begin to even remember and explain and talk about and this is really one of the first if not the only product that I've ever used that's completely natural where I have felt almost immediate relief. So Allie the founder talks on her website that you know you drink the tea and it's supposed to work within 48 hours I can tell you that when I have urinary urgency and frequency even if it's not related to a UTI but more related to my pelvic floor muscles spasming that's mainly why I have urinary urgency and frequency within 30 minutes of drinking this tea my urgency and frequency is completely calmed down so if you use a tea as a preventative treatment you have one cup of it. If you've had sex and you feel UTI coming on, you can drink a cup of the tea to prevent a UTI. If you already have a UTI, you're supposed to drink four cups of tea a day for two days. You have to brew the tea for 10 minutes and then drink it. And it's 80% effective on patients. So it is 100% worth a shot if you are someone who gets chronic UTIs and wants a natural treatment. With that said, There are times where you have to take antibiotics, so I'm not saying never take an antibiotic. I'm just advocating for the fact that this is a natural treatment that has been proven to be extremely, extremely effective. So I have a discount code for everyone who wants to order this tea. Um, The website is nunamed.com. That's N-U-N-A-M-E-D.com. And the promo code is BYUTI, B-Y-E-U-T-I. So enter this promo code at checkout for 20% off your first order of Nunamed Urinary Tract Support Tea. Once again, that's nunamed.com. And the discount code is BYUTI. And now we have to get Allie on the show soon so you can hear more about her story and her healing journey and how she created this wonderful product. 